Hello friends, this is the AlphaList podcast. I am your host Toby. The goal of the AlphaList podcast is to empower CTOs with the info and insight they need to make the best decisions for their company. We do this by hosting top thought leaders and picking their brains for insights into technical leadership and tech trends. If you believe in the power of accumulated knowledge to accelerate growth, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. Plus, if you're an experienced CTO, you will love the discussion happening in our Slack space where over 600 CTOs are sharing insights or visit one of our events. Just go to alphalist.com to apply. This podcast is proudly presented by WorkGenius. Are you ready to revolutionize your hiring process? Look no further. Get ready to unlock the world of stressful hiring for your business. With WorkGenius, hiring freelance professionals becomes a breeze. Say goodbye to long and tedious processes. WorkGenius offers you fast and confident hiring, tailored to your unique needs. Whether you need a top talent for short-term projects or a team for long-term collaborations, WorkGenius has you covered. Trust is essential when it comes to hiring. That's why the folks at WorkGenius handpick professionals through a rigorous screening process. They ensure that only the best candidates make it to your doorsteps, ready to hit the ground running and deliver exceptional results. Imagine having the flexibility to bridge gaps during busy periods, add missing expertise to your projects and kick off new initiatives with fresh perspectives. With WorkGenius, it's possible. They provide you with the talent you need precisely when you need it. So why wait? Visit workgenius.com slash alphalist today to access a world of talented engineers who are eager to contribute their skills and expertise to your success. Sign up there, talk to an expert and get matched with your future engineers. Then hire and start working. WorkGenius takes care of the rest. Welcome to the Alphalist Podcast. I am your host, Toby, and today I have a famous opera singer in the podcast called <laughs> Sarah Pollen. Um, no, really, like I think Sarah started off as, a, as an opera singer, and now she's working for HashiCorp as a field CTO, and she leads executive advisory for customers in multi-cloud strategy and adoption. Is that correct, Sarah? That is absolutely correct, even the opera part. So yeah. thank you so much for having me today, first of all. Um, and I'm I'm not sure where you found all of that information. You did uh, some excellent homework. Um, so <laughs> um, maybe uh, before we dig into that opera singer part, um, <laughs> what, what what do you really do, and what 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 do you passion what what are you passionate about? Yeah, so I guess my day job and part of the reason I'm in the tech field is this idea of strategic advisory. And I guess that's also why I came to HashiCorp. Um, before working at HashiCorp, I was in the financial services industry and started to see some patterns emerging and some difficulties in terms of putting these, together these platform teams and making sure that we can scale infrastructure and just applications across the board. And there were just a lot of sticking points that I kind of saw coming to light. Um, so then when I had this opportunity to move into the strategic advisory, um, I really jumped on that because what I'm seeing and in talking to peers and colleagues, 
everyone's sort of experiencing the same pain points. And it doesn't matter what industry you're in, whether that's financial services or telco, we're all trying to scale and deliver these products in a way that's comprehensive and a way that is going to ensure that we have a stable revenue, but is still flexible enough to adhere to all of these new technological constraints and opportunities that are coming down. Um, So for me, it's just this giant puzzle that's constantly moving and constantly evolving and being able to see that at scale with some, some of the largest um, organizations on the planet, really. For me, that's just super exciting. And I just completely geek out over it. Okay, so you said you geek out over it. So typically, I ask my guests for their <laughs> their nerd journey, um, like how how did they get into computing and and, and why actually? And I mean, mm-hmm. I already mentioned like the opera singer um, part. So I'm curious to know, like, <laughs> how how did that happen, and 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 why are not, why are you now where you are? Yeah, well, so funnily enough, a lot of my graduating class, which were all musicians, I think probably about 20 of us out of 100 landed in the tech industry. So this music into tech is actually something that's very common. Um, And I think, you know, what we see is there's a lot of patterns that emerge um, when it comes to music and particularly classical music. What you're doing is putting together different kinds of modules to exact some sort of musical creation or evoke some sort of emotion. And when you move that then into code, what we're really doing there is putting modules together to solve a business problem. So there are some similarities between the two, which make it quite easy for musicians to kind of go into the to the coding world and pick things up. I moved into coding because um, I wanted to create an application um, and, you know, created this with three other women. And we really wanted to to move into this um, uh, VC opportunity. And we got to the last stage of the VC opportunity and our coder pulled out at that point. So I kind of said, okay, well, maybe this is something that I can learn to do. Um, it's something that I'm interested in doing and I want to have the opportunity to, to really grow into this position. Um, so I left my day job at that time and um, started to learn how to code and did software engineering. And then I think it was probably my second, um, second job that I had realized that there was probably some security holes within the application. So I asked my employer at the time if I would be allowed to go ahead and try to hack the application. And the standard response, you know, no, you you can try, but you'll never get in. Um, And pretty much within 24 hours, I had owned the database. And so I realized that there might be something to this security thing and trying to figure out how do you find that balance between security and velocity in terms of an organization and the application and what that's going to deliver to the organization. So then I started working on this idea of DevSecOps, and it was quite new at the time. Um, worked in the financial institutions, uh, helped build out, build out their programs, their secrets management programs, and kind of fell into secrets management. I don't think anybody goes into secrets management and says, oh, this is really sexy. I really want to do secrets management. Um, (laughs) But it it turned out that it was amazingly fun. And it very much that same idea of you have all of these different moving parts, different applications, different services that are constantly spinning up, spinning down. They need to have some sort of identity. How do we make sure that they have that identity in a way that's sustainable and they can go ahead and, and get access um, and authorization and authentication to 
these other services that they would need to have. And as we see that scale and as we see all of these microservices, um, particularly with, you know, 5G, we're starting to see that all of all of these things have to be virtualized if we want to make this really a viable solution. Looking at how all of this comes together and how do you puzzle that together, um, I found quite interesting. And then from there, it's a little bit of a rabbit hole into, That's okay, really well, if we're doing nerdy, this with identity... <laughs> If we can do this with identity, why can't we do this with entire platforms? So I went down that rabbit hole and I'm now really looking into, you know, we're saying platform engineering is the kind of end all be all. But uh, how do you do that? What are the pieces that need to come into play to be able Mm -hmm. to do that? Mm -hmm. Um, And there's not a lot of prescription and maps on the market right now to, to understand how to do that. So really trying to go in and pull pull apart all of these different ideas and ideations and Conway's Law and Occam's Razor. How do all of these things with industrialization kind of fit together? Um, yeah, I love it. It's great. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's really a bit nerdy. I mean, <laughs> if, you, if your hobby is like secrets management, then uh, <laughs> it tells a lot about you. Uh, do you still code every once in a while or? A little bit. Um, so... I'm actually a single parent, and one of the banes of my existence is anything that is admin-related and repetitive that have to deal with my children. So I've actually gone and automated all of the uh, WhatsApp messages that have to go out every week to (laughs) the different shuttles and the buses and the activities to say, okay, the kid's coming at this time, and... uh, so that's that's the last coding project I did was just something to to kind of alleviate some of the cognitive load on my end. Okay, cool. What what did you use to to automate WhatsApp? Uh, well, Terraform. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. So yeah, I used a combination of Terraform and Twilio, and uh, basically it'll go in and um, crawl my agenda for the week to kind of see where the kids are (laughs) um, and if I'm in town or out of town and then based off of if I'm in town or out of town or they're with their their dad then it'll shoot off these different uh, different messages to the different care providers Uh, so that they're in the right spot at the right time (laughs) that's great so you really like live your company's uh, (laughs) ideology in a way (laughs) yes and for me, it's important to be familiar with the underlying technology and understand what the customers are going through. And so when I go to speak to customers, it's something credible. Um, but also making sure that what I do is a benefit to to my time and to the company's time. So these two things came together quite nicely. Yeah, okay, interesting. Um, but now let's, let's dig a bit deeper in fl- platform engineering. Um, I mean, um, I guess many of us know the term, but I, I think it's still important to, to outline like what it is um, and, 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 and how you see that, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, let's, let's start with like a little prediction um, coming from Gartner that by 2023, uh, 2025, 90%, 95% of enterprises will fail to realize full value from their DevOps and DevSecOps initiatives if they don't adopt platform engineering approaches. Do you share that? Yeah, I think so. Um, And the reason I would share that is because, first of all, what we're seeing in terms of attrition on the market. um, Across the board, we're seeing 23% attrition. What we were trying to do with DevOps, um, myself included until I realized that it just really didn't work, was trying to hire all of these unicorns. Um, 
and you can't scale a unicorn. That's just kind of the reality. So if you get a unicorn and you can have somebody who understands everything and the whole functionality of an application from front to back and the underlying infrastructure and the application itself and how the application consumes from the infrastructure, that's great, but that's kind of a one in a million shot. So then we need to start looking at, okay, if we can't get hundreds of thousands of people like this, how can we start looking at this in a way that it's scalable? I think the other challenge that we have with DevOps, DevSecOps, if we look at it in this just pure sense of it, is that yeah, it's not homogenous. So it introduces a certain amount of risk um, and it can potentially slow us down, especially once we see these developers leaving. Um, So my last team that I had that I built out, I think max tenure for a developer was about two years, Um, which is fine because if you also look at some of the the recommendations in terms of platform teaming and building teams and team topologies, they say on average a year to two years is best to get the most out out of these teams. But if you have people who are constantly coming in and leaving, if they're so ingrained in a single team, it's really hard to make sure that you have that continuity as a business and make sure that everyone's always up to speed. So by kind of abstracting this out and saying, okay, we still want people to be able to run their own applications and whatever, but we we just want to look at this at a bigger scale. Um, we want to make sure that all of the underlying infrastructure is pretty homogenous, that it responds to the same needs, and that if something goes wrong, we know that there is a single team who's capable of following this from end to end to make sure that they can either make it better or chase out any bugs, um, anything like that. So I don't think that DevOps is dead per se. This is just the next iteration of that. And it's looking at that on a bigger scale um, and a bigger, a more scalable sense of it. So I have a, let's say I have a group with like 15 different products, um, all like semi-autonomous and partly DevOps people working in the teams, um, Mm -hmm. supporting the teams, maybe not being fully utilized in the teams directly. What what would be your recommendation? Like I'm I'm at that point, maybe I have a central DevOps team as well, but there's Mm -hmm. like uh, an automated or like an automatic um, conflict happening, I think, um, Mm -hmm. uh, between the autonomous teams and and, and the central team. Like how do you feel like what, what would be like a good setup for that? Yeah, I, I think if you look, step, take a step back a little bit and look at what is the autonomous team and the we'll call it maybe the application team at this point using and what is the, the more centralized team creating, where is that overlap? What can be reused for other teams and what do you see is the commonality just across the organization and, and the enterprise in general? And that's going to help you determine what can be used as a product in and of itself? Is that compute? Is it load balancing? Is it firewalls? All of these things typically are consumed by other applications. And there's a real business value to making sure that those are a little bit more centralized um, and centrally consumable. If for no other reason, then we want to make sure that in terms of risk and in terms of velocity, we can consume these at speed. I know one of the major pain points for engineers that I've worked with and who have been on my teams is that when they go into a new organization, 
it's really difficult to figure out where everything is. How do you consume it? What's allowed? What's not allowed? So by centralizing all of these things and making sure that they know and it's documented where they can go to consume these different things and how, that makes it a lot easier. It make, it reduces that cognitive load. And to a certain extent, it reduces that risk of attrition, at least in, in the speed that you would maybe conceive. Um, it also means that maybe you know, when their year, two years is up with that team, they're more likely to stay because they like how they're being able to consume and they feel like they're adding value in terms of business logic and building out applications and innovation. And and, and what do you think, like, if, if all those teams have, like, very diverse stacks, um, some on one cloud, some on the other, some use Kubernetes, some just use Heroku or whatever, um, where do you find, like, Or how do you find like a good common ground between the teams? Like if, if you have that idea, you want to centralize more, you maybe start with, I don't know, workplace related stuff, like, I don't know, Google Workspace or, or Slack or whatever. Um, and then you want to, want to continue. Like, how do you find a good middle ground? Like, how does that work? Because I think there's like, obviously the idea of autonomy in the teams and then the ideas of the platform teams to kind of overlook it all and be able to, to help and support? Yeah. I think it's really important to be aligned on what the strategy is, first and foremost. Um, a lot of the times if I go into customers and I ask them, what is their strategy? They'll say, oh, we want to be multi-cloud. And so the next question I will ask systematically is why? Why do you want to be multi-cloud? What is the driver behind that? Are you an accidental multi-cloud and you need to make sure that you just have control over this? Are you using different clouds for different purposes because Google's better, better at analytics and AWS is more developer-friendly? Mm -hmm. um, so really understanding why. And that's going to inform what your low-hanging fruit is. So what's easiest to go in and automate and make a product out of that's easily consumable from the base? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then what are the high-value opportunities there? It's also going to depend what is the maturity of the team. Um, Automating a platform like Kubernetes is complex. Making sure that that's consumable by everyone is complex. How do you want to do that? Whereas there might be easier things to automate. Um, so if your team is just gaining maturity, they're starting to understand what do these different streamlines look like and how do we make a product, basically, out of these different services that's going to be a different conversation as well. So it, it's really a yeah, combination of strategy and maturity. And is it always a tech product which is being created or is it more like a, let's say, like a set of tools, a set of ideas that, that um, you, you kind of assemble um, and you align on uh, to then be better? Uh, I mean, at the end, most likely it's a collection of, of, of I don't know, we want to host our code on GitHub, we want to do whatever we use copilot whatever um mm -hmm. uh, not not advertising for github here um <laughs> that's like a a good point to start right but like is it then also creating tech necessarily well anytime you look at a tech strategy and if you you're building that out you're always looking at technology obviously but people and processes and that is all an integral part of how do you build out a platform team Because all of that is engineering. I think we have a, a sense that we say, you know, um, yeah, I'm going to create a platform and then we go straight to the tech. But a lot of times 
what we need to do is look at what are the people and processes first? Do those support what our overall strategy is? Mm-hmm. And there's a, very much in a part of engineering that takes place on all of these these different parts. So it's not just technical engineering. It's also people engineering. It's also processes engineering. And the culmination of that platform is really how do we do all of these things together and what are the directives as an organization that we're going to give and as a CTO that we're going to give to make sure that we have the business value that's related to this so that we have that velocity, so that we have that cost reduction, so that we have that risk reduction. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, those are the things that are going to determine whether we're successful as a business and we have an increased revenue and are able to go ahead and innovate, which ultimately is what's going to bring us you know, that higher margin. Yeah, ideally, I mean... From from my perspective, goals would most likely be like pushing velocity and 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 becoming more efficient uh, on the cost side, right? Yeah. So this may be the one, no, not one, but one of the few areas where you really see a differentiation between your different verticals and the different industries. Mm-hmm. Something like retail or, um, you know startup, they're going to be a lot more concerned with velocity. How do we get to market faster? How do we get there faster than our competitors? And how do we have a better product in the long run than our competitors? Whereas if you look towards the financial and financial services industries, um, insurance, things like that, they're going to be a lot more risk adverse. So Mm -hmm. they're going to be very concerned about how do we make sure that these processes are all aligned so that if we have, for example, another log 4J solar winds, something like that, we can go in and we can remediate that almost immediately. Mm -hmm. One of the things that continues to be of concern, and I think will continue to be of concern with AI in particular, is that supply chain, basically. So what we need to do and what we need to look at when we're building these platforms is the modularity, essentially. Um, I know it's not a word, but the evolutionability of these platforms is almost more critical than whether or not, you know, we're using the latest and greatest technology to be able to accomplish that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And do you think, um, I mean, DevOps seems to be like a bit dead from your perspective. Um, Would that, from a team structure, look like like a purely centralized team or is there like in the dedicated app teams, is there then like still someone working in quote unquote DevOps or... Like, how how does that, re- I don't is know that if reflected ideally? Yeah, I don't know if I would say it's dead, but I think the idea of how we consume DevOps and what DevOps is, is changing as a result. So what I want to see is these products that are end-to-end managed by a single team. Mm-hmm. So if I have the application and the business logic, I want that to be managed end-to-end from one team. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not to say that they're going to be capable from day one to be able to do that. Maybe they need help on the database end of things, Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. understanding how do you make sure that that database is as fast as possible or optimize connections or security, RBAC, things like that. So in that case, you would embed a specialist within that. Mm -hmm. So you have your streams who are responsible for delivering product, whether that's, again, that business logic or the actual underlying infrastructure themselves. And then on the side, you would have the the specialists who are capable of coming in and making those integration points 
because they understand what those touch points are then be between mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. So I think that might be, whether you want to call it the SRE, um, release engineer, specialist, that's the person that we've been looking at as a little bit more of that classic DevOpsy person because mm -hmm. they're able to understand and make the connection between. But by putting them in a role of a specialist, it makes it easier for them and it makes it easier for us to then go ahead and scale all of this out. Mm-hmm. Understood. Um, and is then the the old DevOps engineer kind of evolving into that that role from your perspective, or is it like totally different profiles? Is it, or is it a skill you develop on in your in your career path? I think it's it, it's a combination of everything. I think we can use the DevOps engineers for that role. To, f to fulfill that specialist role, because even within DevOps engineers, they tend to find uh, their own little niche. Um, so I had a really high-performing DevOps team with just really, really strong engineers across the board, but they still had their different specialties. Um, one was still really good at Kubernetes. One was still really good at security. One knew Azure. Um, one was a teacher in a previous life, so his job or part of what he did was make sure that that knowledge was getting spread across the team. So all of these different personas really have value, but it's also about what, what do they like to do? How are they getting kind of energy from what they're doing? Because that's also ultimately going to ensure that they aren't part of that attrition number at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Understood. Um, then like briefly touching the, 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 the conflict potential, Uh, between like the autonomous teams and 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 the platform team, um, do you have a, a, a strategy on how to how to handle it? Um, is there like I mean, does it make sense like in 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 typically corporate structures? You often see like those groups of people then that then that that do like an evaluation of a certain technology. Um, is it, for example, smart to then? team up and, um, and, and and just do that together or? Yeah, I think I, that can definitely be one way of accomplishing that. Um, you know, typically you're going to have 80% of your developers, which kind of fall in the middle. They're just going to go with whatever you give them. Then you're going to have the outliers on other sides. So 10% who are lacking in maturity and are going to need a lot of handholding mm -hmm. to move them along. And then you have the 10% who who tend to be you know, very mature, forward-thinking, want to innovate. Mm -hmm. So one of the ways you can do this is just to have those people who are really about the innovation, use them as sparring partners. Um, in security, we do something called threat modeling. And threat modeling is about sitting down and looking at your infrastructure and kind of figuring out where the weak points are. Um, doing that with a diverse group is actually quite helpful. So you can apply the same thing to a product, for example. So if you sit down and say, okay, this is my architecture. This is how I think this should be used. Um, you know, is that going to respond to your needs? What are the flaws that you might potentially see within this setup if we, if we do this architecture like this? Um, and you know, that that's going to help also drive how valid that, that product is for that platform team. Um, on the other side, and I'm going to say something that's probably a little controversial, but, um, 
at the end of the day, we're trying to run an organization. There is a goal for that organization. We have something that we need to deliver. And something I've never really understood was why are we letting individuals kind of drive what we want to accomplish as an organization? We know that organizationally, there are certain things that work, that culturally, there are certain things that work. That's all part of the development process. So letting people go out and choose every which way and every single technology that's on the market just because it's the latest and greatest and it seems cool. I'm not sure that that's the way we want to go as an organization. Yes, people, innovation, absolutely. And giving people the opportunity to innovate and try new things, you know, within sandboxes um, or projects and giving them the time to do that, I think is really important to make sure that everyone's happy and organizations continue to grow and to innovate. But integrating those directly into platforms and applications and these DevOps processes, I don't know that that in the long run adds value to organizations. Okay. Okay. Understood. <clears throat> and, and and what do you think about... Um, There, there are many trends like right now also in, in platform engineering. And I think like I, I would kind of connect platform engineering to things like providing an internal developer platform um, mm -hmm. uh, for, for the whole organization. Um, do you think that's, that's, that's here to stay? Like, is it, is it realistic that like as a big organization, you use that one platform that uh, is, is being used in all, all different areas or is that too much against um the idea of many like rather autonomous teams what we just like uh, those, yeah, those I, teams we just spoke about i think you can definitely connect the two so we've seen already that landing zones tend to be really effective so when people go in spin up their architecture they go to one specific landing zone they spin it up and that tends to work really well um, and then I would say typically on the side of that, you're going to want to have something that connects to your VCS or your IDP to be able to, to manage the actual deployment of the code itself. So I would say that whether it's one kind of internal developer platform for the entire organization, or you have one or two entry points, um, that's up for, for discussion. But I think, again, if you want to be able to scale things reliably, reduce that risk, reduce that cost, making sure that you have a single point of entry where you can follow everything that happens and make sure you track that is really important. We've seen in the past that shadow IT starts getting really expensive. Um, again, I've seen cloud bills just escalate astronomically because there's all of this shadow IT going on. Um, and there's no way to track that because... It's just being done on the side and because there was all of this autonomy and everything was kind of put together in an ad hoc mm -hmm. um, way of working. So if we move that then into that more centralized entry point, we can start tagging using metadata that says, okay, all of this came in through that centralized port um, or point of entry. Um, and therefore, anything that is not tagged via that point of entry, we're considering that shadow IT and that's just you have to get rid of that. That's not allowed. Mm -hmm. So making sure that we're putting this all together, though, in a way that's, you know, automated, 
that we have the policy as code, that those guardrails are in place so that developers are very clear about what they're allowed to do and they still have the flexibility to follow best practices on the market. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's also really important, but mm-hmm, making mm-hmm. sure that it's contained. Mm-hmm. So you're more like pro-central, um, I, 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 I feel. And it's also like um, absolutely resonates with me. Um, one, 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 one thing that... Um, I always think could be like also a good starting point um, if, if you see it like more as uh, like your development platform or platform engineering approach more like like a, like a not so intrusive approach. Mm-hmm. Um, audits is also maybe a good starting point, right? Uh, to start with like a yearly audit, um, security, cloud cost, et cetera, et cetera, um, and, and maturity. Um, do you... Do you Think the same, or I do. I would love to see that be ongoing, though. Um, having having been an auditor in a previous life um, and seeing some of the things that that go on and the amount of work that goes on to get that audit together, all of that work should be automatable. All of that should be available at a click of a button. And I should be able to see that at any given point in time. If, even if we look at CMDBs currently, they're just a snapshot at any given point in time. So being able to then understand based off of that CMDB, where do I actually have opportunity to um, to, to make things better? Um, are my developers, you know, auto-scaling things? Um, is there an increase in traffic and therefore I have some vertical scaling? It's going to give me keep me a lot more informed about what's actually happening within my ecosystem. So, yes, auditing is important, and especially as we're in these regulated industries, um, and as more and more regulations come out, that auditing is going to become more and more critical, and that auditing is actually going to start being carried out by the state as opposed to um, internally um, or by a preferred vendor. So, being able to show that in a way that responds to everything is important. Um, But making sure that that's not where we're spending our time, that we're spending our time on things that are valuable, on the innovation, on making sure that we're delivering and we're delivering at speed as opposed to just trying to get documentation together that supports compliance. Mm -hmm. So you could then start with 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 code right um and and auditing code i mean that's like already like the the 70 percent i i guess if you i don't know make sure that you don't have i don't know secrets embedded somewhere uh that that you don't have like obvious security um issues uh in your in your packages etc is that a good starting point or what, what do you what, what do you think is like a good common ground to start with if you have nothing yeah, I think that's a that's always a good starting point, just understanding what you have running. So if you can get a good look at what's running in your estate, that's always just the best, making sure you have an inventory. Um, as you move on, putting in guardrails, things like policy as code, because that will also dictate to auditors, you know, look, I have a policy. It's written. It's here in code. Everyone knows that it's enforced and it's in this repo because it is written in code and will be enforced mm-hmm. because we have the single point of entry and then everything is deployed as infrastructure as code and automated. Um, so that's your kind of your next point 
Um, and the other great thing about using that policy as code is it really informs your strategy. So you sit down and you say, okay, this is, we know this is our strategy because it's written, it's in code. We know that this is how we want to handle this. Um, and then obviously things like SAST, DAST, different types of scanning, making sure that vulnerabilities aren't in place. Um, and then I think the most advanced level of this then becomes a fully brokered environment where everything is based off of contracts and identity and everything just talks to each other. And that's really going to give you that kind of ultimate level of security and auditability because you're saying, okay, I have service A and we know that service A gets its identity from here. And then service A can talk to service B because I have, you know, this contract in place between these two different services. And that's really ultimately where I want to see this driven um, and what I want to see the output of a platform team being. I think there are very few organizations that are there yet. Um, but if I go to my very, very happy place, that's what that looks like. <laughs> so did, did you, did, do you see any organization that really implements your, 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 your happy place ideas or? I'm starting to see pockets. So, um, Definitely some of the, the front runners and the big innovators who are starting to, to really use service mesh are starting to, to get there in terms of that brokered contracts, at least between services. So the next level is making sure that that brokered identity is also in place um, and just-in-time access. So. Okay, okay, cool. Um, so... Um, Let's now let's now assume I'm 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 a CTO and I, I I really stand at zero. I have like let's say 100 people working in tech, um, and um, I have my DevOps team in place, uh, which kind of semi collaborates with 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 the app teams. And they, like you could now give me three tips to get started. What would it be like? I mean, obviously, get I don't know a vault or something. <laughs> I assume, but uh, besides that, no. Before that, I would just say you know take an inventory, understand what what is running in your ecosystem, um, and understand why things are functioning as they are. Is it because we're dealing with legacy? Is it because we have technology constraints? So where are my bottlenecks, and what is causing those bottlenecks? And once I understand that, I can start looking at, okay, this is the holistic picture. What is my strategy? And based off of that strategy, I can start saying, okay, this is how I want to streamline these teams. And I want these teams to be in different streams. I want to be sure that the team who delivers compute can deliver compute from like A to Z. And once it hits Z, I need to make sure that that DevOps team, quote unquote, who you know, is working on that application and that business logic understands how to consume that. So then I want to make sure that that specialist is in place. So it's a rearranging of the teams that are actually in place and currently in place to make sure that they're able to deliver the underlying infrastructure and also make sure that I have um, some really solid engineers who have great communication skills and can build trust to make that liaison between The actual infrastructure teams and those streams and the application team itself okay um thanks a lot um that's yeah really practical advice um i i still have a little surprise for you and it, it's like my my, my oh. last question actually <laughs> like it, time went by so quickly 
Um, I, you know, I had Mitchell Hashimoto here on the on the podcast once, and um, he recently uh, told me about a component he wants to open source. Like it's a Kubernetes plugin. It's called uh, Time Machine, and it actually allows you to travel back in time, like physically. Okay. Um, you know, Mitchell is a bit crazy, right? Uh, he, he, I adore Mitchell. I, he, <laughs> I think he's absolutely brilliant and probably 10 years ahead of me, but I will okay, attempt yeah. to. Uh... Yeah, I mean, he's he's ahead of many, many people, as we just learned, right? Um, and um, we now have the chance uh, to travel back in time to the year 2014, when you started at Nike. So you once worked at Nike, uh, like, mm -hmm. I guess, shortly after after your opera um Uh, initiatives yep. and um, you started off as senior analyst compensation and benefits and Good. you now have the ch chance to like influence your 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 future back then um, and and whisper something into young Sarah's ears what would it be it's it's so weird that you're actually bringing this up because the manager I had at that point was the first one who actually put the the earworm in my ear that maybe I would be good at tech. Um, so that was the first large-scale tech project that I've ever worked on, which was an SAP um, project. What would Scary. I say? <laughs> oh, geez. Um, yeah, I, I would just say keep, keep challenging the status quo that... Technically, everything is possible. That culturally, there are a lot of barriers. So it's it's a very balanced world um, in terms of how you how you look at the problem, um, and a, the solution is not always tech related. Okay, that's a good answer. So, were you like over indexing on tech sometimes, or? Um. Yes. <laughs> I think we were definitely over-indexing on tech. Um, I think also just not understanding what the crux of the problem was. So, you know, saying we want to roll something out that's very complicated in terms of the business rules, but then not abstracting that out further and saying, what do we need to support that ultimately? And what is the foundation for that support um, so that we can understand what the business rules are and make sure that those business rules are implemented in a way that's sustainable. Um, I think that's something we just generally we get a little myopic about within the tech industry is we want to solve a problem and we want to solve it now, but we don't take the time to step back and say, okay, if I want this to work long-term or I want this to not acquire technical debt, how do I start looking at that? And what is the underlying factor there that's going to propagate usage further on down the line and make sure that I have a product that mm -hmm. even if my business logic changes or the reason that I want that business logic changes, I can still use the platform and have something that, that works for me long-term. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Yeah. So people in tech spend to, especially in early steps of their career, tend to spend little time in, in, in problem space, right? And, and rather like jump to the solution straight away. Yeah, I think we also tend to overcomplicate things. Yes. So, you know, we, we really want to come up with a super cool engineering that does all of these different things and can respond to a hundred different inputs. But if we take the time to step back a little bit and say, well, do I really need all those hundred inputs? Or can I, you know, simplify this in some way? 
usually that more naive answer tends to be the correct one. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So um, is that also... Um, a hint that you should maybe simplify your your WhatsApp setup with with Terraform, or <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I think they call that a nanny. But <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it's fun, and uh, yes, it should absolutely be simplified. But <laughs> so, um, thanks a lot for your time. Uh, it was great meeting you, and uh, yeah, hope to meet you in, in person at a certain point. Likewise, uh, thank you so much. Yeah, have a good, great weekend in Amsterdam. Thank you. You as well. Hopefully it stays sunny. Ah, uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> I guess it does not. Let's see. <laughs> have a great time. Bye. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Arcelist podcast. If you like this episode, share it with friends. I'm sure they'll love it too. Make sure to subscribe so you can hear deep insights into technical leadership and technology trends as they become available. Also, please tell us if there is a topic you would like to hear more about or a technical leader whose brain you would like us to pick. AlphaList is all about helping CTOs getting access to the insights they need to make the best decisions for their company. Please send us suggestions to cto at alphalist.com. Send me a message on LinkedIn or Twitter. After all, the more knowledge we bring to CTOs, the more growth we see in tech. Or as we say on Alphalist, accumulated knowledge to accelerate growth. See you in the next episode.